the blind stares of a million pairs of eyes looking hard but won't realize that they will never see the pea. <laughs> Yes, sir. It's all eyes on Cleveland. I'm your host, Brad Ward. Mikey is on the ones and twos. It's a bye week edition. A self-scout thyself bye week edition. The Browns, as many teams do, most teams in the NFL do, spending the bye week scouting themselves. So we will do the same here at All Eyes on Cleveland. Special guest... First time uh, guest, Sam Penix, will join us tonight. He is at Clutch Points NFL, Dog Pound Daily, Data Analyst at PFF, and much more. He's fantastic. We'll have him on for our featured interview tonight, talking about what uh, the Browns can do to get better, uh, what other teams would would say, um as I will take a a deep dive into the self-scout portion after the interview, what other teams would say when facing the Browns and how the Browns can combat that moving to the second half of the schedule as they look to make the playoffs. They are sitting at 5-3 in the 7-hole. That is in right now. But work to do, certainly, uh, as they have three really tough games on their schedule and five probably winnable games on their schedule. It should be a fun one. It's going to be good. Here we are, self-scout, bi-week edition with special guest Sam Penix. You start getting excited. Oh, that sounds so good, Mikey. I love it. Sounds fantastic. Mikey. Hmm. Hang on one second, Mikey. Oh, I don't know what that is. Mikey, you are uh, you are a gentleman and a scholar and doing a fantastic job as always. It's all eyes on Cleveland, the podcast where we interview the top personalities in the Cleveland sports and national landscape discussing the pressing issues that face your Cleveland Browns who are sitting at 5-3 and three, looking to make the playoffs in 2020. Um, we are going to talk with Sam Penix tonight. Sam uh, is all over the place doing a ton of work on the Browns. Uh, you probably read his stuff and might even not know it. Uh, and many of you are probably already fans of his. Mikey, go ahead and kill that uh, thumping music. Thank you, sir. Very good. And, you know, as I talked about before, in the NFL, teams take the bye week to scout themselves, you know, as if they were going to play themselves and try to identify some tendencies and things that they can do to get better. 
uh, by looking through the lens of an opponent, uh, as if they were the opponent of themselves. So as uh, as uh, I listen to often, many times, uh, Chris Sims, and he likes to say, self-scout thyself. So we're going to self-scout thyself tonight uh, for the Browns and on this bi-week edition. Uh, Sam will be with us uh, shortly here. We're working that in real time. Mikey doing a great job of that here recently. We're going to talk about Kevin Stefanski, the job he did in the first half. We're going to talk about the offense, the defense, uh, the identity that they have, what they need to do better in the second half. Um, Some uh, numbers that we need to look at and that are, you know, maybe tendency driven that the Browns can work on. And I have a a whole bunch of notes here, as uh, Zagre would say, copious amounts of notes here on the self-scouting, more so as we look at the offensive side of the ball and the defense side of the ball, but a lot of stuff on the offensive side of the ball here as far as what other teams are doing to disrupt our offense, uh, you know, and how can we combat that. So a lot of stuff there, uh, big questions to be answered, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which has been an absolute sieve lately, really, really bad. Um giving up tons of yardage, not able to get off the field at all. So we'll we'll take a look at that as well. Some key numbers here I wanted to hit you with off the top uh, that I found interesting just in going through some things. So uh, Baker Mayfield uh, that has the second fewest completions in the middle of the field in the NFL. That That's really strange. You would think that the middle of the field would be a, a, a target area for the Browns, and obviously that's an area that they need to take more advantage of. Uh, Mayfield, and this goes back to the OBJ topic uh, that we'll talk, you know, we've talked about in the last couple weeks, and I got asked about when I went on Raider Nation Radio out in Las Vegas on uh, 9.20 a.m. Uh, out there uh, very much. Got asked about got asked about it on Sunday uh, on the uh, Full Monty show on YouTube uh, about the Mayfield OBJ thing. But an interesting number when you look at this is that Mayfield – off-target rate to other receivers, 10.7%. His off-target rate when throwing to Odell Beckham Jr., 28.2%. Shocking numbers there. Much higher when throwing to OBJ. Is that the pressure of it? I don't know. There's a lot of layers to that situation. Um, And I think it'll work itself out over time here that, uh, you know, he has played two good games in a row now, despite what it may have looked like on the surface. He actually played a very good game against Las Vegas in the wind, uh, just didn't get the cooperation of his wide receivers, unfortunately. I feel like they got away from the rush too early, and I'm going to ask Sam if he felt the same way too. Uh, felt that was a day that they were having some success running the ball and could have done it even more maybe. Uh, it looks like we may get Teller and Chubb back for Week 10, which would obviously make a huge difference in this statistic. But if you look at it, for the first four games of the season, the Browns rushed for 204.5 yards per game. In the last four games of the first eight, they rushed for 95.5 per game. That is directly correlated to the missing of Nick Chubb and Wyatt Teller. Uh, also, as I said, I feel like Stefanski got away from the run a little bit against Las Vegas. 
Um, some other interesting numbers. Obviously, the Browns' defense relying heavily on the takeaway in the first half because they really have a hard time getting off the field. They basically can't get off the field at times. Teams walking up and down the field on them in the past couple games um, and uh, doing basically whatever they want. Uh, so de- uh, 14 defensive takeaways has been a saving grace for them to get those five wins. And that's not something you can really hang your hat on. It's not sustainable, as Scott Dryden, my old partner, always used to say. And it's something that he proved to me over time is that depending on takeaways is really not sustainable. Um, you can be good at takeaways, but it's not something you can count on week in and week in out. So you're going to have to find a way to get stops there. Uh, Denzel Ward, 11 passes defense, and then, of course, Miles Garrett, 9 sacks, tied for the lead in the NFL with Aaron Donald uh, making his run at Defensive Player of the Year. When we come back from the interview, it's going to be a tremendous interview. You're going to love it. Uh, Sam's work is fantastic. Uh, as I said, he works at PFF, Dog Pound Daily. Uh, so he's a PFF guy, and he's got roots in Cleveland, a perfect guest here for this week. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy the interview. And then when we come back, I'm going to do my self-scout of the Browns, uh, self-scout thyself uh, version uh, of my stuff on the offense real quickly. And then we'll get you out of here on a bi-week edition of All Eyes on Cleveland. Go to the website, www.alleyesoncleveland.com. Leave a review. If you want, you can find the podcast also where all popular podcasts are found, including iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. Uh, we are sponsored tonight by Thrive Fantasy app. It's prop bets. It's not lineups. Go use the promo code EYEZ, E-Y-E-Z when you sign up today. You'll receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. Try it out. It's really cool, actually. Uh, it gives you a chance to actually win instead of going against the pros who will hit an optimizer button on DraftKings or FanDuel and throw out 150 lineups, and you have no opportunity to play against them because uh, they have such an advantage. Here, that's not the case. You can you know, actually pick the prop bets that you want, place them down, download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store by visiting uh, www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Use the promo code EYEZ, as in all eyes on Cleveland. Yes, sir. Uh, so now that we have that business out of the way, let's go ahead and see if we can... Uh, get uh, Sam Penix on the line here for our uh, interview. As we said, we are working this in real time. Mikey, how are we doing on that? And we have uh, Sam on the line here, uh, welcoming, welcoming him to all eyes on Cleveland uh, for the first time. Uh, Sam Penix uh, writes uh, about the NFL for Clutch Points at Dog Pound Daily. Uh, he also covers the NFL draft at the first pick and is a data analyst at Pro Football Focus. Welcome to the show, Sam. We're glad to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So we're uh, kind of uh, taking a uh, self-scout approach to the bye week here on the show, uh, as the team is doing probably themselves this week very much, uh, taking a a look inward. Um, And uh, so let's uh, start out here with... Um, our uh, our head coach here, Kevin Stefanski. Um, how would you say, uh, Sam, that his first eight games have gone, considering, you know, of course, the uh, lack of offseason that he had? 
Um, what what do you what would your reaction be as far as how he's done so far? Well, I think given everything that uh, happened this past off season and the position that he was put into, I think if you had promised anyone at the beginning of the season that he'd be five and three at the midseason point, I think everybody would have taken that right. No question. They're currently they're currently the uh, the seventh seed in the AFC, and I think that's that's quite an accomplishment considering how last season went and the fact that he's he was he was a coordinator for a season and a half and now he's a head coach. Um, so I I am very happy with the job he's done. He hasn't been perfect, obviously, but I think he's done a really good job. Um, he's he's shown a great ability to manage the game. Uh, not not just play calling, but time management mm-hmm. and just general coaching decisions that that we didn't see over the past few years. So I am happy with the job he's done, and I'm hoping that he's going to continue to improve over the second half, most notably in his uh, rematches with the Steelers and the Ravens. I think that's going to be a great opportunity to see who he really is as a coach when uh, that that's his second opportunity to face those teams after being soundly beaten the first time. So how he recovers, how he uh, fights back against those two heavyweights, I think it's going to be really fun to see. Yeah, that's definitely uh, will be a, uh, a pivot point for him. Very, very interesting to see the adjustments he makes. You know, he's done a great job in my book, uh, Sam, as far as you know, he's created an ad- identity on the offense, which yes. has been missing forever. Uh, team seems much more disciplined. His game plans seem organized and effective. Um, rarely can you say that he's gotten out coached. Now, one of those times I may say that he might have gotten out coached was the very last game against Las Vegas. Uh, a little bit. Uh, did you think he went away from the run game too much against Las Vegas? Um, I don't know if I would go that far. I think okay. it's hard to it's hard to kind of get away from what you were doing offensively when you only had six drives to do it right. Very true. So Very it's true. that that game. I I. I really don't want to take a whole heck of a lot away from it because of the conditions. Um, and I know it, we play in Cleveland, you know, you just got to get used to it. But I think that was an outlier, that's just a blip on the radar. Um, one thing I, I did notice is he, he ran the ball on second and long, mm-hmm. I think at least two or three times in that game. That's probably like the biggest issue I've had with him so far is in his play calling is – is the runs on second and long. It's just, it's, it's very inefficient. And I know, you know, that's our identity is running the ball and sometimes it's worked out, but the vast majority of, of situations like that, you, you want to be throwing in that in second and long. So uh, hopefully uh, the analytics department there will, will have a talk with him and we'll see a, an improvement in the area over the second half. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, you do uh, work for Pro Football Focus, and uh, obviously right there, you know, you're able to uh, talk a little bit about the analytics. And that's, like, the main thing that you've noticed. I, obviously, he was a, Kevin Stefanski is a, considered a very analytics-friendly guy. Um, so far, so good in that category, you think? I would say yes, for the most part. Um, it's... It's kind of hard to, I guess, marry the two sides of being a football guy and an analytics guy. Yeah. Um, obviously, over the last few seasons, we've seen, you know, from 2016 to 2017, it was all analytics as far as the front office, and it was just Hugh Jackson as the football guy. Then they went 
the completely opposite direction with John Dorsey as the football guy. And now we're kind of, you know, the pendulum has swung back in the direction of the analytics guys. But I think Stefanski has done a good job of being able to incorporate those types of things into his game plan. And obviously the front office is doing that uh, with their player acquisition. So I think that is, it's a good sign. And um, I just really hope that Jimmy Haslam is seriously committed to this regime finally. Um, and, and they're not just going to get canned in a year or two if, if they don't live up to immediate expectations. No, yeah, I would completely agree. I, I hope the same. And you would think they're getting a heavy dose of that uh, analytics this week here in a self-scout week, you know, certainly tendencies and whatnot uh, coming their way um, to try to, I, you know, uh, identify where they can get better and where they can change some of that stuff up. Uh, on that topic here, and you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland with special guest tonight, Sam Penix, as he joins us, uh, uh, writes for Clutch Points uh, uh, NFL, Dog Pound Daily, and uh, Pro Football Focus also covers the NFL draft at the first pick. Um, Sam, this defense has had uh, problems here, uh, and increasingly more so uh, in the past few games where they've really had a tough time getting off the field. Joe Woods brought over his, you know, Seattle cover three press bail scheme and mixed that in with a lot of cover four and a lot of zone, right? Um, what should the Browns consider changing going into the second half of the season as they've really had a tough time getting off the field? And it's hard, you know... They depended a lot on the takeaway, Sam, but it's hard to really rely on that, right? Exactly. You, you just you knew earlier in the season when those turnovers were coming at just an, a completely unsustainable rate that once they stopped coming, things were going to get ugly. And we've seen that over the past few weeks where they've they've forced what what is it one punt over the past two games? Yeah, like yeah, that's just ridiculous. that just can't happen. Yeah, yeah. So i I will say I'm not. 100% sold on Joe Woods right now. I do understand he's dealing with a lack of talent on that side of the ball. And obviously that has a, a big, you know, that has a big impact on how he calls his games. But I just think like some of the stuff earlier in the season where, you know, Ronnie Harrison basically didn't play at all until mm-hmm. Carl Joseph got hurt, even though he was cl- like, it's not like Andrew Sandejo was playing at a really high level you know, ahead of Harrison and the other guys and Sheldon Redwine, you know, he was, he, he showed some things late in the season as a rookie. And then he didn't get a single defensive snap until injuries forced him out of the field. So I think that was one of the things that we knew that Woods was going to do coming here is he likes to rely on his veterans. He doesn't really trust the younger players. And I think we've definitely seen that come to fruition here. So it kind of makes you wonder, how much was Grant Delpit really going to play? Like we, we all assumed he'd have this major role in the defense because of mm-hmm. how talented he is. But you know, if if Woods isn't going to trust a veteran like Harrison, then is he going to trust a rookie like Delpit? So that's something I definitely want to see uh, over the second half of the season is Woods kind of get away from that tendency and and play his rookies more his his uh, younger players more because really, what do they have to lose? Right? It's not like they can get get much worse right so right. yeah true and you know over the first few games even when they were we were uh doing a pretty good job as far as the box score went you just knew like that fifth ranked run defense like 
I I always felt like that was really misleading because yeah. in the games that they had played, either the opposing teams couldn't run the ball because they were too far behind, or they just chose not to run the ball because they knew they could they could uh, tear the secondary to shreds. Yeah, carve and up the secondary. So, yeah, yeah. That that Raiders game is really the first time that the Browns were down in a game for the majority of the game, and it wasn't a blowout. And we right. saw that the defense just couldn't couldn't get it done. So as far as like schematic things that they can do, I'm not really sure there's a whole lot there. Uh, but one thing I would like to see more of is uh, the linebackers being sent on blitzes more as far as uh, you know ga- shooting gaps in the run game because you see these linebackers making the tackles six, seven yards downfield. Yeah. Like that doesn't really help you. Like the safeties can do that, right? Yeah. So if they're going to, if they're not going to be much of a factor in the run game as far as, you know, making run stops and stuffing plays, send them on a, on a blitz, you know, send them through the gap and force the run to go somewhere else. At le- even if they're going to miss the tackle, like Taki Taki's done. Uh, he, he did it a few times last game where he was in the backfield and he just missed the tackle. Yeah. At least you have the chance of getting a tackle for loss, you know, once or twice a game instead of just consistently getting pounded for four or five yards every single play. So I, I, I definitely understand that there's just a, a lack of talent there and he does not, Woods does not have the type of personnel he needs to really run the defense that he envisions, which is the, the dime base, which I really hope we eventually get to see uh, in Cleveland. I think that would be a, a really good idea. You gotta get, gotta get a good linebacker first, but Mm-hmm. If you can if you can run that dime defense effectively as a base that that's going to be really effective in today's NFL. Yeah, I agree totally. And uh, you know, it's interesting you talked about Sandejo, and he gets picked on a lot, obviously, but for good reason, I think so too. But it's it's strange, it's odd. Joe Woods has played him; he's played more downs than anybody on the defense, right? I don't think he's left the field, um, right. and. He's he's a problem, right? I mean, he's he's a step slow. Uh, he has a really hard time, like you know, finding work in front of him when he's in a zone. He just kind of lets it a lot develop in front of him. He's very slow to do that, uh, and you know, just on the film, you see a lot of that. And, and I would love to see a Harrison Joseph tandem. Do you think that he would be willing to do that in the second half, or even a red wine mixed in there? I think he should be willing to do it. Um, I I know you know Sandejo was never meant to play this much, right? Or play, right. You know, play the yeah, role seriously. that he's in. But there's no, really nobody else who can do it. Um, but he's still you know arguably the worst starting safety in the league. So it's not like he's doing even a, an okay job. You know he's been really bad. There's no sugarcoating it. So I do think that. He's a he's a primarily he's been the free safety right so yeah I think I think part of of why he's been playing so much is that Woods doesn't trust Redwine to play free safety and he he sees both Joseph and Harrison as more strong safeties yeah which I would tend to agree with however the Raiders used Joseph as a free safety primarily over the past two three years actually playing him you know out of position. And he was fine. So he can do that. And Harrison has also played free safety as, as well. So they're, vers- they're both versatile. And, I mean, 
can they be any worse than Sandejo? Like right. probably not. Right. They're they're the they're better players than he is right now. They're they're a lot younger. So I think you just need to see what you have in the young guys because you already know what you have in Sandejo and it's not very good. So yeah, and and you know nowadays in the NFL you got to be interchangeable in those positions too. I mean, especially right. when they're in that in their cover three, which they're in a lot of times now and. You know, you've got one guy dropping and one guy coming up to play the middle there. And and it, it's like, uh, you know, these teams are just fi- having such an easy time stressing the defense out just because the linebackers have a tough time reacting. As you mentioned before, uh, they're, they're just kind of – the way that defense is set up is so rules-based, it's almost like they're playing the pass before the run and they end up on their heels just sitting in that – in their zones, they're waiting for the run game and making tackles five, six yards down the field. As you said, you'd like to see them fire into the holes more and, and maybe, you know, the one game that we saw, we saw Joe Woods kind of uh, bring the blitz. Uh, I forget which week it was, but uh, from the from the slot corner, right, from uh, yeah. DJ. Yep. But he, yeah. brought it, he, but he brought it from him every single time, like consecutively. Like bring it from yes. someplace else, right? Like, I mean, yeah. he sees him coming and he's, you know. Uh, so you'd like to see him get a little more creative with that, I would think, too. Um, certainly. So, yeah, I mean, the defense is a problem, no question. Uh, if, if I had to ask you, as far as the defense goes, out of all the linebackers and what you've seen so far this year, who do you think has the most promise uh, out of those guys? I think it's Jacob Phillips, and it's not even close. Yeah, I think so. Too. Um, I mean, when he he hasn't been on the field very much, unfortunately, due to his knee injuries. But when he has been on the field, you can just see like he's clearly a higher level athlete than the rest of those guys, right? He made that mm-hmm. one uh, tackle on the reverse against the Colts, I think it was, and uh, or the Cowboys, it must have been. And you know, you could just you you could see none of the other linebackers were going to be able to do that, right? So. I think he's definitely got some work to do in coverage. You know, he wasn't very good in that area in college, but he's extremely explosive. He's smart. He's a reliable tackler. So I think he's definitely the guy who has the most promise out of that group. And I really hope he's healthy for the second half of the season. He gets a lot of playing time. Yeah, me too. I think it's his speed, just flat out speed. He, you know, he can play uh in the in that in the past game and, and or at least from sideline to sideline and he tackles so well so i agree that i think that he has the most promise now mac wilson i thought had promise last year although being bad at times is you think that he's just hampered by an injury right now or is he just not as good as maybe we thought he was going to be i i just i still don't know exactly what to make of him yeah you know like tough call. i think that there's a there's a large subsection of the fan base that seems to think he was this first round steal, which just wasn't the case, right? Yeah. And last year, you know, he wasn't supposed to play that much, but once Kirk got hurt, he was just thrust into, you know, just this this much larger role than than what Steve Wilkes envisioned for him. Right. And he definitely struggled. Uh, he was really bad in that 49ers game. That long touchdown run by Matt Breida was his fault. And I will say that I definitely saw him improve over the latter half of that season. And by the end of the year, I thought he was, you know, a a replacement level linebacker. And because of that, you know, I was hoping he would be, he would, you know, show some improvement, show some development this season, but that just hasn't happened. You know, he's been much worse than he was last year. 
He's yes. like, it's like he's a, you know, it's his first game again. So yes, I think the injury definitely has a lot to do with that, but it's also like in the, in the last game on that Hunter Renfro uh, touchdown catch, you know, that yeah. was his zone and yep. he just, he was, he didn't react at all to, to what Carr was doing. He was just, his eyes were in the backfield. He didn't move and, Renfro got right behind him and caught the ball, or he didn't catch the ball, but they counted um, it anyways. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but either way, that was on Wilson, and we've just seen that too much of him this season. So I, I'm disappointed. Um, hopefully, he turns it around. He gets healthy and turns it around the second half of the year. But I wouldn't be holding my breath for that to happen. Sadly. Yeah, you know, I, I just there was times he flashed. I thought all oh, last year his athleticism. You know, a lot of times he would take bad angles and, and would overrun plays and wasn't disciplined enough. But certainly I thought the athleticism was there and he did make some plays, but it, it just has been lacking completely this year. And I wonder if that's injury uh, caused or not. But either way, it hasn't, it's been a disappointment for sure. Um, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland, uh, self scout bi week edition here with special guest Sam Penix joining us. Uh, he is a data data pardon me analyst at Pro Football Focus as well as writing for Clutch Points NFL. I love Clutch Points graphics. Their graphics are fantastic. I love those. <laughs> yeah, they, awesome. they are pretty funny. Yeah, they're good. Uh, NFL draft coverage at uh, the first pick, and of course, Dog Pound Daily, which I'm sure many of you uh, read on a regular basis. Um, okay, uh, Baker Mayfield uh, has been drugged through. Uh, the, the shit, basically, uh, by the national and local media, uh, you know, sometimes maybe justified, sometimes not, uh, but he has his team at five and three and seems to be improving, uh, I think, you know, uh, especially the last two games. Where, you know, where are you at with Baker Mayfield? You saw the poll I'll put, I put out uh, about the fifth-year extension. That's a real question that they have to ask uh, themselves here going into these final eight games um, and, uh, you know, where you go beyond this year because uh, that's a fully that's fully guaranteed. That fifth-year option is fully guaranteed now. That's no joke. You're signing a big fat check if you are going to sign a guy to that. So um, where are you at with uh, Baker Mayfield, Sam? Yeah, they've got, they've got eight games to make a fully guaranteed $25, $30 million decision. So Correct. no pressure, right? Yep. Um, I am undecided if the season ended today, I don't think you can pick it up based on what he's done over the past two years. Right. It's just, it's not been consistent enough. You know, we've, we've all, we all know what he can do. We've always, we've all seen his, his highs. It's just the lows. There's just too many of them there. Um, he did, he has played a lot better over these past two games, but he played well on Sunday despite the conditions you know that loss was definitely not his fault he right. put the team in a position to score multiple times and they just didn't get it done so i and then you know the week before that that first quarter was about as poorly as you can play and then the next three quarters he looked like a hall of famer yeah, so that magical. was that was that yeah. was that was by far the best game he's had as a brown and probably the best game he's had in his career period, whether yeah. it's high school, college, or the NFL. So that's that's his ceiling. I don't think you can expect him to do that consistently, but when he knows where he, where he wants to go with the football, 
he's as accurate as anybody in the league. And it's just the problem has been getting that out of him consistently. He did it maybe two or three times last year, and the rest was just all over the place. So now he's done it, you know, a quarter of the time this season. So these next eight games are obviously going to be really important for him. And he's under a lot of pressure to perform because, you know, if he's, if they don't pick up that option, you know, that sends a huge message message to him. Like you have 2021 and that's it. Yeah. Like either, either play well or you're gone. You know, we, we can't commit to you. So it's, it's disappointing that it hasn't happened yet because, you know, after those, after that rookie season, we all thought it was a foregone conclusion. We had a franchise guy and then last year was just an absolute disaster. So I'm hoping that they've managed to iron out all the kinks that Freddie Kitchens threw into him last year and they can finally start, you know, building towards turning him into the quarterback that we all know he can be. And I definitely think that this is the offense to do it in. Now, having not having Odell Beckham, um, it's I'm not going to say he's better without him because I don't I don't know how you can be better without one of the you know five or six best receivers in the league. Right. But there's definitely something there, or something not there rather, in terms of chemistry between him and Mayfield. Because you know, going back to last year, it's been the same thing this season. You know. When Baker looks his way, he's covered. And when Beckham is wide open, Mayfield's not looking his direction. So I don't know what it is. I don't know how long it's going to take to fix or if it's going to be fixed at all. But it's unfortunately not going to happen this season. So I, you know, right now I I can't pick up his option. But I'm hoping that he makes it a no-brainer pickup over these next eight games. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would agree. I, I'm there with you. I'm, I'm undecided. I don't think it could be decided at this point. Just for, for the sake of it, the poll came out at where I last looked. It was at 830 votes, 76% yes, 24% no. That's about uh, what I would expect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, me too. And, and, uh, you know, so with him, Right, we've seen him better, and you talk about the Odell thing. And I got asked this question a lot last week. I was on uh, Raider Nation Radio, like nine twenty a.m. out in Vegas. They had me on, and and they asked a ton of questions about Odell Beckham Jr. Right, I was on a show on Sunday on YouTube, uh, the Full Monty Show, and they all they want to ask about is Baker and and, and OBJ. Right, like uh, are they better without him? What you know? And I think it's oversimplified. Like obviously, I think there's a lot of layers to the question. Do you know what yes. I mean, Sam? So like. It, a lot of people will come out and say it's crazy. Like I hear Bo Bishop on on Cleveland Browns Daily. It's crazy to say you just don't know football if you say that they're better without Odell Beckham Jr. Well, I get what you're saying, right? And that makes common that's common sense. But there's a lot of layers to it. Like you got to think about from the quarterback's perspective, and, and then you look at some of the numbers too. Like so, his off target percentage to the rest of the team is like 10%, Sam, and his off-target percentage throwing to Odell is like 28%. Like, that's not yeah. a fluke. That's weird, right? Yeah. And then you look at two, like, and I can feel it at home. Like, you, he he's the walk-in-the-room, suck-the-air-out-of-the-room superstar, right? And right. if he doesn't get the ball, 
everybody knows it and everybody's thinking about it. So if he doesn't get it for two series, does it affect the way that Baker plays? I mean, I at home am certainly thinking about the fact that he hasn't touched it in two series. I know he is. So uh, I think there's a lot of layers to that, and that can certainly affect the way that he plays the game. Yeah, it's just there's no simple answer to a question like that because, you know, it's football. It's not an exact science. The, the, like you said, there are, you know, it seems kind of ridiculous to make that claim, but there's evidence to, to imply that it's, it's, that is the case. Yeah. Granted the sample size, I just don't think is, is large enough on either side to, you know, really make a hard decision based off of it, but there's definitely something there. And, you know, we ha- now we have eight more games of, of Mayfield without Beckham to add to that sample size. So I, I don't know what the front office or the coaching staff, um, I don't know what their feeling on it is, but it's, it's gotta be something that they're thinking about every day, you know, yeah. is, is it best to have him, on the team if if baker plays well these last eight games you know like can you can you afford to you know mess up something good and if if it would mess it up then you know what does that say about mayfield like can he is he not able to play with the with a superstar wide receiver like that's a problem too so yeah i don't know what i don't know what the deal is there i i just i do know that beckham has been a model teammate since he's he's been in cleveland and he deserves so much better than what he's gotten throughout his career. And I really hope that he ends up winning a Super Bowl and we're the team to to get him that ring. Yeah, I, I agree completely, Sam. I think he's been fantastic uh, since he's been here off the field, you know, and uh, trying to be a leader and trying to step up and grow, you know, uh, you know, as a person even. But if you look at what this has done now and, and – Uh, I'll bring this up now because it leads us kind of right into that. You know, speaking of the future of Odell Beckham Jr., the injury clause is kind of brutal, right? Because you had an out and now it's $12 million guaranteed and you can't really trade him right now uh, because he's, you know, you'd be trading him at, you know, bottom dollar value. Uh, So is he back next year? I mean, it, it's hard to tell. Uh, I think you probably have to see the next eight games to tell, uh, you know, honestly. But uh, where are you at with that thought? I think until until there's a reason that he's not back, he is, right? So Right, yeah. You, like you said, he's not going to be worth very much at this point. Like, what are you going to get, like a third? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's one of the best receivers in the league on a pretty team-friendly contract at this point. Um, based on the player that he is and the the amount of money that other receivers are being paid now, so under contract through twenty twenty three, I believe. And you know, if 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 he gets on the same page with Mayfield, and we see that that Beckham that we saw in New York, and you know they have, they get they finally get chemistry together, and they're not they're not you know Beckham's not going left when Mayfield's going right then things can start to get really interesting with this offense because we've seen what Stefanski has been able to do with Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. And you add somebody even more dynamic than that with hopefully a better quarterback and a better offensive line, things could get seriously fun. So I think at this point, 
you can't trade Beckham. And I think they definitely, the front office realizes how important the position of receiver is, even in an offense that uses a lot of tight ends. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're going to give him away for anything less than he's, you know, legitimately worth. Yeah. And that's certainly not a third round pick. So yeah, I, I can't see them moving on from him, even if Mayfield plays very right, well uh, these last eight games. Yeah. And I, I, it's just, it's just a, a really sad situation because he was finally healthy, you know, for the first time since like 2016. And then he suffers, you know, a serious injury again. So it's, it's a bummer. It's a shame. And I hope he comes back next year, hits the ground running and puts all of this discussion behind him. We never have to talk about it again. Yeah, I agree. Uh, now we got to talk about replacing him here for the final eight games. So, uh, certainly not having him there, Sam changes the way the teams are going to play the Browns. Uh, it, it will, uh, allow them to, um, play the run differently. It'll allow them to play the pass differently, obviously. Um, I mean, he commands, you know, too deep coverage a lot of times and, and just cause he's on the field, cause you got to roll that safety over and, and, and teams may go away from that now with the Browns run game, um, and, and make challenge them to do something like that. Uh, is there anybody that you would like to see try to fill that role? I mean, so for example, like Donovan Peoples Jones catches the game winning, uh, touchdown, and uh, a big catch on that final drive, and then he gets three snaps against the Raiders. What's that about? Uh, and 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 then uh, and then uh, I guess they had a package in for Taywan Taylor, and they threw that out the window because of uh, weather. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, you got to have a, a deep ball threat on the field, basically. Yeah, I wish I had a, I had a good answer, but I, I really <laughs> yeah. don't. I mean. Peoples Jones, Taylor, and Hodge all have good speed, but none of them are you know really proven players right now. So, I personally would want Peoples Jones playing a lot more, just because he gives you that size and speed combination that nobody else on the roster has. Exactly. And you know you spend a sixth round pick on him because of how talented he is, and I think you you need to see him play. Uh, just just to know what you have in him and and see him develop because he's not going to do that sitting on the sidelines watching you know you yeah. gotta let him play he's definitely physically talented enough to to win matchups as we've already seen so you know let him make mistakes let him let him learn from them and let him improve while he's on the field because he's the he's the most dynamic threat in that receiving group right now with Beckham injured so I think you you're almost forced to play him because because of that because of the talent that he is. But you know, at this point, we've seen you know he and Taylor had approximately the same amount of snaps last week, and I don't believe either of them was targeted. Or you know, people don't yeah. say they've been targeted once. But so I, I you know obviously that, that that game's an outlier because Mayfield had you know. Few so few attempts based on the amount of drives he had. So yeah. we'll see what happens at this Houston game. I think it's going to be a lot different. So I think the snap counts are definitely going to be different. I do think they like what Hodge brings to the t- brings to the table as far as his speed and his blocking. So maybe they'll start throwing to him more, just like they were doing, um, you know, before he got hurt. So 
We'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. I think I think Higgins getting back into the fold may change some things for them, but hopefully they uh, they find something because Landry and Higgins as your two receivers, um, it, it it definitely could be better. Yeah, uh, it could be, and 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 you know the thing with Hodge is like I know he's a great run blocker, but Peoples Jones has proved to be a pretty good run blocker so far. Um, and, and I know they like Hodge a lot, but he runs a lot of routes and not a lot of targets. It makes me wonder about separation a little bit. Um, and then, you know, I just felt like maybe people's Jones, that was a jumping off point and I would have liked to have seen him get more playing time. Obviously, like you said, it might be a little bit of an outlier game, obviously, because of the weather and the limited amount of possessions that they had. So let's see what they go from there. But for me, common sense is you let people's Jones be that deep threat or at least yep. try to incorporate him as the guy that can at least threaten to take the top off. It, you know, you only need to, to actually throw it out there, you know, once or twice a game uh, just to keep a defense honest, right? So, right. Uh, it's an interesting uh, thing to look at, certainly. And, uh, you know, I, I hope they don't. I fear that they don't go away from Higgins at this point. He should have cemented himself as as that as that number two because I just don't think you have any more talent to catch the ball and get them himself open but beyond Jarvis at the wide receiver position except for him. So um, I fear, I you know, early on in the season, you know, uh, I point to that as as a Stefanski win that he was able to keep um, his wits about him, although he wasn't dressing. You know what I mean. Uh, yeah. And then when he did play, he he was ready and he had a positive attitude. And then after the game, was like, you know, I knew the coaches believed in me. I just stayed ready. And I was like, man, that's like a huge culture thing that we would have never heard in the past from a Browns player that wasn't yes. seeing playing time, right? Right. Um, so for for him, for me, he's a big-time success story, and I'd like to see that continue, obviously. Uh, another question for you here, Sam, when it comes to contracts, right, um, and questions here at the halfway point that need to be talked about and addressed is uh, Ogan Joby, right? Uh, his free agency is approaching, um, you have Jordan Elliott there. Uh, if he see the way I look at it is, if you have intentions to keep Ogunjobi, you ha- need to make an offer before the end of the year. Um, if he sees the open market, he'll probably get overpaid somewhere or way more than we're willing to pay him, and he's gone. That's the way I look at it. So, uh, where do you stand with Ogunjobi? Are you willing to let him walk? Uh, do you want to see them make him an offer, or or does it, is it just common sense that Jordan Elliott kind of fills in that spot? I would be very surprised if they made an offer to him, and I am completely okay with letting him go. Okay, and here's why: so he's he was good as a rookie. He was he was good as against both the run and the pass, and ever since then he's kind of been on a downward trend. You know, the opposite of what you want to see after somebody's rookie season. And this year, you know, he he had the he's had the few flashes, you know, like the Baltimore game where he's he's in the backfield, he's making these big splash plays, and then five ten consecutive plays, he's getting washed out of his gap, and he's just getting you know 
hit from the side and pancaked by the offensive line. Yeah. And he, he's, he's just a non-factor there. So with defensive linemen, definitely the more important thing instead of those splash plays is the consistency from snap to snap. You know, how are they playing against the run? Are they holding their blocks? Or are, they, are they holding their gaps against double teams? And Ogun, neither Ogunjobi nor Richardson really does that well because neither player is a one-tech right now. And, you know, that's just not that's not their skill set. That's not their physical – that's not where they belong, right? They're both yeah. three-techs. Yep. And the Browns knew that, and that's why they went out and signed Andrew Billings, who's a very good one-tech. And I would not be surprised if they signed Billings long-term because – He's a very good player right now. He's a much much better run stopper than either Richardson or Ogunjobi. He's younger than Ogunjobi, if I'm not mistaken, and he has more experience than Ogunjobi, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And he's he's had an upward trend. He's gotten better each season. So that's the guy who the Browns wanted playing one tech and starting, and then they wanted to have Richardson and Ogunjobi rotating at three tech with El- with Elliott, you know, thrown in there every now and then. And Billings opting out, I think, threw a huge wrench in their plans. And as we've seen, the run defense is now, you know, it's been very bad over the past few games. Mostly because of, of those two defensive tackles just unable to, to, to hold their ground. Yeah. You know, if you go back and watch that Raiders game, it's, it's, it's just brutal how it's they're just getting, they're just yeah. getting washed out. They're providing absolutely no resistance. And, because of that, you know, Ogunjobi, he's been valuable over the last four years because of his really cheap rookie contract. And if you're paying the same player, you know, four, five, six million dollars a year because it's the second deal, then you're just not getting good value at all out of that money. So I definitely think Ogunjobi is the third best tap DP on the roster right now. Elliot is definitely better than him, in my opinion. And I think it's it's definitely the right decision to move on from him. And I also think it's the right decision to move on from Richardson because of uh, the $13 million that he's owed next year. He's a good player, and I think he'd be a lot better if he had Billings playing next to him, but he's not worth $13 million in my opinion. Uh, a very interesting, uh, uh, good uh, analysis there. I appreciate that. That's very good stuff, Sam. And then uh, now they will get Billings next year on that one-year deal coming back, right? Correct. Um, and then uh, so you would expect maybe more likely a billings Elliott front next year? I would, and I I would also expect them to either sign a, a pretty good free agent, maybe somebody like Shelby Harris uh, from Denver, who I, I really wanted this past offseason. He ended up signing – it was either three or six million dollars uh, on a one-year deal with the Broncos, and he's having a terrific year. Um, or they'll 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 take advantage of another strong DT class, and they'll draft one on day one or day two. So, yeah, I definitely expect another guy to be there. I think they definitely want to be four deep there because they realize how important that position is and how important depth at the position is, which is why they went out and signed Billings and why they went out and drafted Elliott. Because they they foresaw themselves having a nice four man rotation, obviously that hasn't been the case, unfortunately. So I think, you know, in in a normal year next year, hopefully it's normal. Um, we'll see them them you know go back to their original plan, and uh, I think it'll work out much better. Very good stuff. Uh, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland special guest Sam Penix joining us tonight. 
uh, great analysis there on the defensive uh, line on the interior there. Now, uh, Andrew Barry um, spoke yesterday, not yesterday, two days ago. Uh, the days are running together. Uh, no uh, moves at the deadline, um, which makes sense. You know, you've got that $175 million, uh, you know, level there that, you know, they're guaranteed at least that much on the salary cap. Rollover uh, cap is absolutely huge for these teams right now, right? So, right. you know, any amount of money spent is, you know, probably directly out of your pocket next year. Uh, they did this Elijah Lee guy, uh, and I saw you mention that they've activated him. Uh, even uh, what I know he's play he played for San Francisco a little bit. Uh, what do you expect him to get playing time for the Browns? Um, I'm I'm expecting him to be more of a special teamer. Uh, okay, he did he did start. A majority of the year for the 49ers in 2018, he was, you know, replacement level player. So he's probably one of the better linebackers on the roster right now. But yeah, given that he's he's coming in so late, I don't expect him to be a major player on the defense. I think he'll probably get some snaps here and there if Joseph or uh, Phillips, excuse me, is out uh, for any longer. But um, I think he'll be primarily a, uh, a special teamer, and I think they, they definitely value special teams. Obviously, with how they they went out and signed JoJo Natson as a specialist, yeah. So hopefully he'll be able to add some some value there. But I don't think you're going to get much um, much help from on you know defensively from a waiver claim from the Lions, <laughs> who don't exactly have a very good linebacker corp and decided to move on from him. So yeah. Certainly. Uh, okay, so wanted to ask you about him. Didn't know a lot about him just by just from looking at his stats. Didn't you know? Uh, so that that makes sense, though. Um, now, if we are looking forward, I want to look forward here a little bit with you um, here before we kind of refocus back to the rest of the season here, because uh, I know you're big. You cover the draft a lot, right, and uh, that kind of yes. stuff. So. Uh, before I have my draft question, but let me ask you this. Uh, the safety duo for 2021, chances of that being Delpit-Harrison, are is that high, or do you think it will be Delpit, somebody not on the roster? I think Delpit and Harrison are going to be two of them. I think you definitely need a third starting caliber uh, Safe safety. And, to play that dime look, right? Right, and I'm I would expect them to to take a rookie to fill that role. Maybe they'll go after a free agent, but I, I don't think they would spend a ton of money on one. Um, but yeah, definitely Delpit and Harrison as you're starting free safety and strong safety. Okay. I mean, Harrison's been, been very good this year. He's probably been your, either your best or your second best defensive back, depending on how you feel about Ward and um, Delpit. It was just a absolutely phenomenal college collegiate player. You know, he, I, I get the missed tackles from last year, but you know he he dealt with a high ankle sprain. They played three playoff games and he didn't miss a single tackle. So yeah, yeah. When, when that when it when it matters, he 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 turns up his game, and you know he's special athlete, special physical talent, and he's just he's so versatile in coverage. He can he can play 
single high, you know, angel. He can play in the slot. He can play outside at corner. He blitzes really well. He's he's able to put himself in positions to make run stops that nobody else can because of his explosiveness. And he does everything really, really well. I, I'm still stunned that the Browns were able to get him in the second round after trading down. Like that, that was just ridiculous. And I'm really <laughs> disappointed that we didn't get to see him play this year because he's going to be, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up an all pro at some point in his career. He's that good. And I definitely think he's going to be leaned on a ton in this defense. They're going to move him around and do a lot of different things. And he's going to be a stellar player for us over the next five, six years, at least. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Uh, great evaluation there. Now, uh, if we look forward uh, to the draft, right, and you had to say, like, what is this team's biggest need or, you know, certainly, you know, yeah, there's always the, you know, best player available need, but it's, to me, it's always kind of some combination of both, but whatever. Uh, I tend to lean towards, like, you really need to find a long-term solution opposite Miles Garrett at defensive end. But uh, tell me what you think of, of like where the Browns will address first in the draft, or what they should look to address first in the draft. Yeah, the, the smart thing to do would be to would be to find that Robin to Garrett's Batman, definitely. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of different guys uh, to choose from in this draft, so that's definitely what I would expect them to do. Um, Personally, I'm definitely a bit higher in the linebacker position than a lot of people. A lot of people are. Yeah. So I really want them to go after a linebacker in round two, because um, I just think the way this team wants to play defense again that that base dime look. You need to have a linebacker who is who is dependable in that in that Mike spot. Who's you know he's not going to miss tackles. He knows. He knows his run fits, and he's instinctive. So he's going to be making plays behind and at the line of scrimmage instead of waiting for the ball to come to him like our linebackers do. And he needs to have an actual feel for coverage, which really none of our guys do right now. Yeah. Um, so you need to find that guy who's all around good in every area. And um, there's there's a lot of a lot of those guys in this class, in my opinion. Um, one of the one of the best is Missouri's Nick Bolton, and I think he's going to be a second or a third round pick, even though he's probably good enough to go in the first round. So I think he's he's a guy that I would feel is definitely on the Browns' radar, and they would do a lot of homework on him okay. because because of the, the type of player he is. You know, maybe not the greatest athlete, maybe doesn't have the greatest range, but he has a good feel for coverage. He's extremely cerebral. He's very smart, and he hits really hard, and he wraps up in tackles and. That's the kind of player that you need playing Mike when you have, you know, six, sometimes seven defensive backs on the field. So I, I really, I really, really, really want them to go after a linebacker early in the draft. I wouldn't take one in the first because it's just not a valuable enough position. But I definitely think if there's a guy, if Bolton is there in the second, you know, if there's a guy they like in with that first third rounder, you got to go after that because you got to fix that position for 2021. Yeah, it's interesting that you know uh, certainly the linebacker position seems to have gone the way of uh, almost the running back on the offensive yes. side of the ball, right? So uh, that maybe teams are feeling like they can just you know throw young athletes in there and get by with that. 
Um, but it's interesting. I, it's certainly not worked so far this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, un- so. until you have, until you have a, li- a defensive line like Pittsburgh's where they're just like impossible to, to gain any traction against, then you need to have at least a pretty good linebacker court to, to stop the run there. Um, and you, with with the Steelers, like they have Vince Williams and Devin Bush as their starting linebackers, and neither of them were playing very well this year. Like I liked Bush a lot as a prospect, but he hasn't, you know, mm-hmm. he's not really been that great. So, th- and you know, in spite of that, the Steelers have one of, if not the best defense in the league right now, and it's because yeah. of those four guys on their defensive line. So, I think the Browns definitely eventually want to have a defense that resembles what the Steelers are doing, where they they just have a terrific defensive line but obviously that's not going to happen in one year so Mm -hmm. i think they got to go after that linebacker find a a good one and then just start throwing a ton of assets into that defensive line every single year and make sure that you you build you build through the trenches i know it's a it's an old adage it's a cliche but it's it's very true in today's nfl because if you can get pressure with four guys and you can stop the run with four guys, then you have the other seven to use on defensive backs. And yep. that just helps that helps the line because then they, they don't have to you know the that the secondary doesn't have to cover as long, the line has more time to get pressure. So it all it, it all works itself out. They're all everything's intertwined that way. So and I think it all starts on the defensive line. Yeah. It it does seem to you know uh, the teams that are having the most success can do that in the NFL right now, can get home with four, can stop the run with four. You're absolutely right. And, and anytime you take somebody, you know, out of coverage to try to apply pressure, you know, quarterbacks, a good quarterback will will find that and, uh, and eat that up. So uh, you're absolutely right there about that and uh, definitely be a key moving forward. Let's uh, talk about the second half of the season here. Of course, the Browns have Tennessee, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh on their schedule. Uh, three, uh, you know, very good playoff teams, right, um, that at least looks that way. Uh, do they need to win one of those games to get in the playoffs? I mean, I know if you look at it and say, hey, if they just take care of business against the teams that uh, are have a worse record than them right now, you know, they should end up with 10 wins, but... I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I mean, I don't expect them to win every single one of those games. Uh, I probably think they need to win a, a, a team against a legit playoff team. Is that how you feel, uh, or do you think that they can get by with just you know handling their business? Yeah, so I think they can make the playoffs just by going five and three. You know, again, the next eight games, you know, beating the teams that they're worse than, and then they'll be in the playoffs. But I feel like they need to at least look, you know, somewhat competitive against one of those heavyweights. Because if you yes. go into the if you go into the playoffs as the wild card team, and you've been pounded by Pittsburgh twice, Baltimore twice, and Tennessee, like, okay, so you're technically a playoff team, but you're definitely a fake playoff team because you can't compete with the actual playoff teams, right? Yes. So, I think they need to at least show up. Like they didn't do against Baltimore and Pittsburgh. I would love for them to beat Tennessee. If they can beat Tennessee, and I know the Titans just lost to the Bengals pretty handily, but if they can <laughs> beat Tennessee, that's still a very good football team. 
And I think that would give the Browns a ton of momentum going into the second half of the season, you know, the, the latter quarter at that point. And I think that would do a lot uh, for fan morale just so that, you know, they know, okay, it, we don't just have a good record and we're not just beating up on these inferior opponents. We just beat the, you know, one of the two AFC championship teams from last year. Yeah. Who have a good defense, who have a good offensive line, who run the ball, who have a quarterback who's played at a very high level over the last two years. So I think, you know, from a just a, a purely qualification standpoint, no, they don't need to beat one of those three teams. But I think from an organizational, hey, we can do this standpoint, I think that would be massive for the team and the fan base. Yeah, and you figure if if they were able to beat Tennessee, it certainly shapes the way you approach Baltimore and Pittsburgh differently too, right? Uh, it makes you feel like you're more real as you approach yeah, these games. Yeah. yeah, like you know what what can we take from from the game plan against Tennessee and use it against those two teams? Because literally nothing of our game plan against those two teams worked the first time. So yes, you know whatever whatever you can glean from that, I I would I would definitely do it. So that's. That's definitely the game I'm looking most forward to right now, and you know if they if they can win that game, I think the outlook on the team changes a lot, even from you know the already mostly positive viewpoint that we have right now. Agreed, agreed. Uh, big games here, and then okay. So last question here tonight for you, Sam, and you've been absolutely fantastic. I've enjoyed your uh, analysis greatly. Um, I'm sure that uh, our listeners will as well. Uh, you can follow Sam on Twitter at Sam underscore Penix. Absolutely go and do so. He writes for Clutch Points NFL, uh, covers the NFL draft uh, for uh, at the first pick, Dog Pound Daily author, and uh, data analyst at Pro Football Focus. Sam Penix uh, doing a fantastic job here tonight on All Eyes on Cleveland. Um, I saw you mention... In your Twitter uh, timeline, uh, that you thought Teller and Chubb would be back Week Ten, is that correct? Teller, at least, yeah. Um, based on on them parting with their only other backup interior lineman, like okay. Evan Brown has been, you know, the backup guard, um, you know, at the spot where, where Chris Hubbard isn't playing, right? And I don't think you don't think you want Nick Harris playing guard in the NFL, no. so. That would certainly indicate to me that Teller is feeling good and should be back in time for the Houston game. Chubb, I think, I think he definitely could be back and would probably be okay to play in that game. But with him, I'm definitely not taking any chances, you know, because of his his history. You know what yes. what happened with his with his knee in college. It's it's still amazing he came back from that and and you know has been even better. But yes, yeah. As, as far as his, he has after that, yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. As far as his long term health, you know, I don't want to get too cocky, but like, do the Browns need Nick Chubb to beat the Texans? Probably not. So, Agreed. I would, you know, if he's not one hundred percent, I would keep him on injured reserve, let him heal up, and you know, keep him healthy for the stretch run against the the good teams or the latter half of the schedule in those games against Tennessee when you know, against Baltimore against Pittsburgh when you're definitely going to need him. Yeah. And and you know Wyatt Teller is just absolutely I mean the story is incredible, right? You know, of what he's become this year. 
but uh, they've yeah they've missed him incredibly. Amazing. Yeah, yes. yeah. I think I think his absence is, has had a bigger impact on the offense than Chubb's even, I and agree. that's saying that's saying something because Chubb is the best peer runner in the league in my opinion. So Teller was you know before he went down, I mean. <laughs> Just mauling people. I, I, yes. I can't. I, don't, I can't even describe it. Like yeah. he was playing so well, he was just destroying every single tackle that he was against. He was facing yep. off against. You know, he he was absolutely the best guard in the league at that point. You know, yep. First team All Pro for sure. And I'm hoping he still you know gets the recognition the recognition that he deserves at season's end, even though he's missed these last few games because he was just playing so incredibly well and i hope literally the first day of the off season when when he's eligible to sign an extension that the browns hand him hand him a, a contract to sign because he he definitely needs to be here long term and you know even even if though it's a small sample size i've i know what i've seen of him playing against some pretty good players some pretty good deep tackles and you know he 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 is a special player and for you know I, I was not a huge fan of what John Dorsey did as general manager, but getting him for a fifth round pick, wow. Yeah. 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 And he wasn't and he wasn't that in Buffalo. So, you know, you gotta right. give him credit for getting better. Of course, yeah. you he, know he our, was a he was a pretty decent player last year. You know, he he was solid in yes. pass protection. Yeah. Uh, he struggled in the run game. And I think you know, looking back, a lot of that was he had been a left guard his whole career. Yep. He gets traded to the Browns. He has, you know, a few games to sit behind Eric Cush and, you know, switch sides. And then he's thrust into the starting lineup having a full lot. Well, technically a full off season uh, with Bill Callahan to work. You know, Callahan yeah, is one of the all time greats. Yeah. And he, he just looks like a totally different player. You know, he's been great in, in protection and has been the best run blocker in the league. So it's just been it's been a joy to watch and he is just he is so much fun to just zero in on during a game and watch him every single play. He's just throwing people around, pan- pancake every other play. It's just so much fun. Yeah, it is. Uh absolutely. And and you got to think Bill Callahan has a lot to do with that absolutely. Um just taking, you know, his his raw talent and and, and helping him to become that that next level player but uh he also you know sam when i look at a guy like him and you mentioned signing him to an extension it's like he's a browns type guy that you want to like if you want to talk about like uh you know building a culture and sustaining winning that's a guy that you have to sign to an extension in my book yes i agree he's so you know he 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 embodies, you know, exactly the kind of player that you want on the team, you know, with his, his tenacity, his ferocity, it's just his, his nonstop motor and effort. And it's, you know, perhaps most importantly, just the, the amount of time and effort that he's put into improving himself over the last year. And, you know, the results are obvious. So that, that is definitely the kind of guy that you want to reward and keep on your team for a long time. Sam, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Uh, excellent job. I hope uh, you enjoyed your uh, 
your time here on All Eyes on Cleveland. We're going to send you a T-shirt, All Eyes on Cleveland T-shirt. We'll send you one. I'll get your uh, address and size. We'll send you an All Eyes on Cleveland T-shirt. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. Absolutely. Uh, Sam Penix, uh, follow him on Twitter, at Sam underscore Penix. Clutch, uh, clutch points, NFL, NFL draft coverage with the first pick. Uh, at the first pick, pardon me, Dog Pound Daily and Pro Football Focus, a busy man, lots of football. Uh, make sure you go follow him and uh, check out everything he's doing. Thanks again, Sam. Have a great one. Thanks, you too. Incredible job there from uh, Sam. Sam Penix, uh, as I mentioned, Clutch Points NFL uh, at the first pick. NFL draft coverage, Dog Pound Daily, and PFF. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Penix. Doing a fantastic, what a great interview. I mean, tremendous job. Perfect uh, self-scout thyself. Browns bye week edition uh, guest as he was able to reflect on a lot of things Browns I know you guys will love that interview um, and uh, I'm just going to go over a couple more self scout thyself I, I, I asked the question to everybody out there uh, you know while we're self scouting for the Browns right uh, as they are as a team certainly with analytics and everything else as you approach it as if you were playing yourself for a week uh, how would you attack that um but uh, in order to open up some potential holes that maybe have gone overlooked in the first eight games. Uh, but um, as a show, I asked the question, what would you like to see more? I got no, I got nothing, nothing from you guys uh, that you would like to see more from the show. As I attempted to self-scout thyself, as a, that's an ongoing process, though. Leave the review at the website, www.alleyesoncleveland.com. Dot com. Big thanks to Sam Penix again with a tremendous interview. Mikey, go ahead and kill that. We approach our uh, YouTube debut here. Uh, and once again, you know, Wire came in. Wire didn't work. We're working out the kinks still on the technical side of things. You know, in graphics and all of that is is getting worked on and shored up. Uh, hopefully within a week or so we can have that up and running. I've got some good guests next week, really good guests next week. Uh, so, uh, let me make sure, let me check this real quick. I think I can talk about, so we're one of these, I am efforting an ex NFL player, uh, that does Texans, um, podcasts now. And so, uh, that is what uh, I uh, am efforting, and I think we'll be able to land him uh, one day next week for Texans Week. 
but uh, also, you know, and uh, one of the best around, Jake Burns of uh, the OBR. You can't miss that show. He's the best around. Uh, fantastic guest will be with us uh, next week, Tuesday night uh, is what I have here. So Tuesday night with uh, Jake Burns. I, I know he was on uh, uh, Cleveland uh, Browns Daily today. Uh, hopefully we'll keep him a little bit longer and go a little more in depth with him so you can dig into his uh, mind. Football mind is exquisite. So uh, we'll get him next week on Texans Week. Here tonight, we are doing the self-scout version edition, bi-week edition of the show, All Eyes on Cleveland. Um, And uh, so I have some notes here, and I want to go through this. So if the Browns, and this is what they will do, obviously to a higher level and more so, but they would approach this week as if, coaching staff-wise and, and everything, as if they were playing themselves, right? So you go back and you watch some film. If we were playing ourselves, what would we do? How would we approach this? What game plan would we draw up to beat this Browns team? Self-scout week, right? And it opens up a lot of things because, you know, you realize, okay, this is a weakness, this is a weakness, this is something we can do to stop this from happening to us, and so on. It's a very important week for a team as they, especially the Browns, as they go to take on the next eight weeks of the season, which could end up in the first playoff berth in however many years it is, 20-some-odd years, right, 30 years, whatever. So uh, key week this week for them as they're doing that. So self-scout, uh, we're going to look at it here, uh, as we did already with Sam a lot, and he was fantastic at doing that, but let's – Let's look at this here. Uh, five and three, even with injuries, great start. Uh, Kevin Stefanski has been able to create an identity with the run game. I, I asked Sam this. Did he go away from it a little bit too much with Las Vegas? He made the good point that they didn't really have that many possessions, so it's kind of hard to say. I thought they were chunking them in the run game with Kareem uh, Hunt and should have stayed with that a little bit more. Um, of course, the drops and the poor play from the fumble from Bryant, the dropped interception pick six from uh, Ronnie Harrison, uh, the drops from Jarvis, uh, the the unfortunate call back on Jarvis's touchdown, and the unfortunate not call back on Renfro's touchdown. Just a lot of missed opportunities in that game. It really could have been the Browns game. Um, but let's take a look. Baker Mayfield and the offense, two major things, right, that defenses are doing to Baker and that they should, the Browns will recognize during the self-scout week, right? Okay, uh, arm talent, accuracy, Baker is fantastic, right? We know that. He has great arm talent. His accuracy can be fantastic when his eyes go to the right place, right? So when his eyes go to where they're supposed to, and, and he fi- identifies the answers on the defense side of the ball, he's able to be good, very good, because his arm talent is excellent. His accuracy is excellent. He's had two good games in a row. Now, what teams are doing to him, which should be identified in this self-scout process, uh, he is one of the worst in the league if a defense changes their pre-snap look to post-snap. So, Pre-snap, they're showing you this, 
and then they switch it on you for post-snap, it's confusing the shit out of him. He's having a terrible time with this. He needs to identify how many safeties are on the field, where they're at, a lot of fire zones where they replace uh, your hot read, right? So, like, he sees a blitz coming from here, and let's say he identifies, okay, here's where the blitz is coming from. My hot read is uh, Jarvis over here on the left. He signals that, whatever, um, and then he goes to do that, and teams are then dropping fire zone, which is where you're going to drop somebody uh, into that zone. They're dropping somebody right into that hot read, and that's where he's getting in trouble, if that makes sense. So um, the pre-snap, what they're showing him, switching it to post-snap, good defenses that do this. Now, not everybody can do this that well. Some teams will just sit in their defensive scheme all day long and say, beat us, right? But some teams will switch this up a lot on you, and it gives Baker uh, major problems, right? So we know that. Um, he's he's working on you know his pocket presence. He's been sticking in there better. You know, he fights that resistance to bail to the right. Uh, but the other teams are going to challenge him mentally, cerebrally. Can he overcome in the second half of this season a lot of that? So they should be spending a lot of time on that. Like, here's your cues, right? Here's your cue. Where is this safety? Where is this? Is this man using a lot of pre-snap motion helps him, right? So Stefanski, you know, we've seen them use a lot of pre-snap motion. And and even in the games that they looked poorer against, uh, worser against, against like the Steelers, I, there was a big notice that there wasn't as much of the pre-snap motion, which for whatever reason, it doesn't make sense. But this, this is, that helps him, right? Moving guys around, making guys on the defensive side of the ball move around gives him a better idea of idea of what cues he's looking at and what potentially the defense is going to do post-snap, right? Um, and that will help him. Uh, can he overcome some of that where, hey, you're tricked, but you still are able to identify where the open guy is quickly enough and complete the pass, Right. That's something that he needs to overcome and has struggled with so far, certainly. But I think he can overcome, okay? But that is what other teams are going to do to him. Second half, self-scout thyself. What would you do to Baker? This is what you would do to him. Confuse him from what you're showing him before he snaps the ball to what he's seeing after he snaps the ball. Dropping guys into those hot read lanes that he thinks he can go to when a blitz is coming is going to mess him up all day, right? Showing him different looks, dropping safeties, bringing safeties up into the box, you know, creeping guys up closer to the line of scrimmage will hurt the run game, will hurt his ability to dissect a defense. So he has to overcome that. They should be spending time with him this week in the self-scout week looking at tape saying, Here's what's happening here. Here's what's happening here on the left side. You know, maybe they're playing zone, you know, uh, you know, too deep uh, zone on the left side, right? Because, you know, you've got uh, Jarvis or Odell over there and they want to have the safety over the top. But over on the right side, they're playing man-to-man. Like, that's 
easy way they can try to fool you, right? But it looks like a zone. You run somebody in motion, maybe you can dissect that. Maybe he can look and identify those cues. Where is this safety going? Is he coming up? Is there going to be opening here? This is stuff he needs to identify. Um, if he takes away my hot read here, where's my next, you know, where's my next progression? You know, okay, they dropped a defensive end on a fire zone into my hot read, which was, let's, let's say, a slant to Jarvis on my right. My next read is Hooper sitting down in the middle. Let me quickly swivel my head there. Okay, he's open. Boom. Okay, he's not open. Uh, my next read is to uh, Chubb out, flanking out, left out of the backfield, right? Like, so he, these are, you know, in the short, quick pass game, when teams are going to push, maybe show pressure and he has to identify where the open man is quickly, he has struggled. But they can sit him down this week and say, hey, this is what, you know, we would do to you. Identify what what's happening here, right? And and let's overcome that going forward in the next eight weeks. Not going to happen overnight, night, without a doubt. But something that he can get better at, and something that he certainly will need to accomplish as he gets closer to the end of the year, especially when we're talking about that fifth year extension. That's point one of you know scout thyself or scout self scout the Browns. What you would do to the Browns is mix up those coverages, certainly for Baker. Um, number two uh, in this is they're going to, teams are, if you're going to play the Browns, you're going to move people up to the line of scrimmage and move an eighth man into the box because you want to stop the run game, right? Without Odell Beckham Jr., on the field, teams aren't going to feel like they have to play the too high safety look as much. You're going to see a lot more of one, you know, one safety and a guy walking up into the box to make eight, right? Or a cornerback playing really close to the line of scrimmage, um, maybe in coverage on a tight end or something, a nickelback, uh, up there close to, uh, play the run, right? They want to stop the run without Odell. You need to realize, they need to realize, and I'm sure they do, in a self-scout week, this is what we would do to ourselves, right? There's no threat to take the top off. We talked about this with Sam. Where's the threat to take the top off the defense? It's gone. OBJ's gone. What can we do to stop the run now? That's going to be key. Adjustments there, making sure that you create maybe that threat with a with a uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones or a Taewon Taylor, whoever it is, but at least taking those shots down the field, make them respect that, make sure that you, you know, they respect you enough to play the two high safeties and not walk the guy into the box to shut down your run game. That's going to be key, Okay. Uh, guys close to the line of scrimmage is a problem for the Browns. Guys that shouldn't normally be close to the line of scrimmage, creeping up close to the line of scrimmage is probably, if you were a defense and you were saying the Browns, how would I play myself? That's how you would play yourself. They need to recognize that. I'm sure they do. And how are they going to combat that? You combat that, A, with a deep threat, and B, with 
you know, uh, being able to recognize that and take advantage of it on the offensive side of the ball. A lot on Baker's plate for sure. On the defensive side of the ball, as you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland, finishing up our self-scout episode, bi-week episode uh, here tonight. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, it's been bad, right? We know they run the Seattle cover three, press bail. Uh, we know that they uh, run the cover four. They're in a lot of zone, and teams have been able to stress those rules. If you think of the cover three, think of it like uh, matchup man-to-man in basketball, right? So you're showing zone, but when the guy comes into your area, you're going to match up man-to-man on him. That's kind of what the cover three is like, right? If a guy comes into your area, you go to man-to-man principles. Now, there are cover three beaters. There's cover four beaters. There's, there's plays that are designed to stress those rules, right? We always talk about, um, uh, it, it's escaping me now, the play from the Super Bowl, right? Uh, and with, with, um, Tyreek Hill and Mahomes, um, and, uh, you know, how he crossed the middle of the field. It looks like he's going across and the safety takes him because it looks like he's running to that far pylon and he cuts it back behind the corner who's already let him go because he's been through his area. Like that's a play designed to stress that coverage. So, as if you're the offense looking at the Browns' defense, which is what they'll be doing this week, how do we take advantage of them? Well, certainly they're struggling in that zone. They're struggling to pass guys from area to area. There's lots of areas to sit down in that zone. It's very soft, right? Um, and we should be able to work the ball uh, up and down the field easily. The Browns cannot depend on the takeaway it's not something you can rely on. It's not sustainable, as Sam said uh, in the interview, um, and as uh, Scott always used to say on our shows. So, um, and it's true. So, can, can you run the ball against the Browns defense? Yes. Sam talked a lot about this. You've got to get these linebackers firing up in the holes so often because of this the zone that they're playing i feel like they're sitting there playing the pass from the beginning and then when the ball's run reacting and they're not you know there's nobody firing through those holes like a linebacker should to fill them right that has to change they have to be more aggressive against the run i think um and and then in the these zones, he should spend a ton of time, Joe Woods, on the cover three press bail, working on the press bail, the actual press bail, because outside, too often when they go to cover four, it's so cushiony, it's so soft that the quarterbacks are just taking what's there. And, and it feel, feels like at times during the first half that the Browns would say, okay, we'll do that. We'll make you go on a 10-play drive down the field and hope that Miles gets the quarterback and causes uh, an interception or a fumble or something. 
Um, and, and that's just not sustainable success. Your defense as a whole has to be better than that. Um, so, uh, and, and you would attack Andrew Sandejo. You would attack 23. We watched the tape of 23 uh, Sandejo tackling in that Raiders game, not wrapping up, running into guys like his force is going to knock a running back over, a Josh Jacobs over because he's so big and powerful. I'm sorry, that's not the case, right? Like, wrap up and make a tackle. Fundamentals. These are things that should get stressed this week. Stop trying to just knock people over, wrap up and make a tackle in the hole. There was multiple times that Taki Taki, as Sam preferenced in our interview, and Sindeo were there to make tackles for a short gain or even a loss, but just threw their body into the player, expecting that just knock him over instead of wrapping up and making a stop. Fundamentals, defensive fundamentals, Get back to the basics there. Get back to the basics of your zone. Get back to the basics of this cover three rules. Work on some of the passing off of the guys uh, through the zones, okay? And also maybe incorporate some man-to-man, some other looks. Uh, I love the idea that Sam brought up. Maybe you need to stop being so predictable on defense and bring a linebacker on a blitz or bring some linebacker run blitzes on obvious run downs. These are things that I think that they will discover in a self-scout of the defense, or things that I see, and when I talk to people that are smart like Sam, obviously see as a problem. Self-scout week here on All Eyes on Cleveland. I hope you enjoyed it. Big thanks to Sam Penix. He was outstanding. Clutch Points NFL, NFL draft coverage at the first pick, follow him at Sam Penix, Sam underscore Penix on Twitter, Dog Pound Daily, and Data Analyst at PFF. Mikey, great job, brother. Half the season is through, ladies and gentlemen. The Browns are in the seven spot. Good chance to get into the playoffs. We talked about winning one of those big games. Tennessee will be a big one. Obviously, Pittsburgh and Baltimore at home, and five other games that are winnable on the schedule. Could be a fun second half. Got to get it together, though. This is a big week, and then Texans week next week. We'll be back with two huge guests for you. Hope you enjoyed All Eyes on Cleveland as usual. For Mikey on the ones and twos, I am Brad Ward. We are out.